Word here on RealAgriculture.com for Wednesday, July the 28th. On this episode of The Word, wowzers, wheat, will we set a new record? And what could have been there? Way better than maybe we thought. A quick update on Hay West. We have to look at that. Some clover management falling number. We need to understand how that works. Nitrogen deficiency on corn. A really cool question there. Stink bugs and more as much as I can get to. Let's go first off. Yes, last episode I talked about selling wheat at $8 a bushel. And I talked to my brother on Sunday as I always do. And Paisley says, Peter. Did you sell $8 wheat? Yes, Paisley, I sold $8 wheat. Not only did I sell $8 wheat with my 2021 crop, I sold $8 wheat for 2022 as well. Have a look at that. Don't miss these opportunities. It's hard to believe that selling wheat for $8 a bushel could ever be a bad marketing move. I'm no marketer, but I just look at that and say that it's it's worth considering at the very least. And the other funny thing is it's cool how all of you, it's great by the way, and all of you, including my brother, hold my feet to the fire. Uh, that's just a whole bunch of fun. Okay, going to move on. Mary Simon, this is really cool. Our new governor general. Listen to a little bit of her acceptance speech when she was appointed governor general. Did you know, because I did not, one in five Canadians was not born in Canada. That's right, 20% of our population not born born in Canada. The diversity that we have in this in this country is outstanding. It's awesome. It's great. But farming is a white world. Now, we're getting better because it used to be a white male world. Now, it at least is both male and female. I'm so excited at how many new female women agronomists that are coming into agriculture. It's cool. They do an incredible job. So that's really great. But we have no clue in in the circles we travel in the diversity that is in this country. And we need to know that. We need to accept it and embrace it and, and enjoy it. So One in five Canadians not born in Canada. Keep that number in the back of your brain. It is really cool. And good luck to our new governor general. Really excited with Mary Simon in that role. Okay, going to move on. And will we do it? Will we set a new wheat record here in the province of Ontario? I cannot believe from Essex County through Niagara, through up in Bruce County, all the way out to eastern Ontario and into Quebec Big yields being reported, above average to record-breaking yields. It's absolutely awesome. Lots of confirmed yields now in the high 130s, some in the 140s. I haven't quite confirmed that yield that was reported in the 170s. I would like to do that because that's a big yield, baby. But nonetheless, really high yields. Big question, Joanna Falling, Cereal Specialist in the Ministry of Agriculture, will she be able to claim that fame of a new record yield here in the, in the province of Ontario? Our previous record, 97.5 bushels per acre. I've always wanted to get to 100 bushel per acre provincial average. I, I think we have a shot. I, I just hope that we actually get there. Meanwhile, my good friend Fida up in Bruce County, says, Peter, so we're combining wheat, and it's awesome, 
It looks gorgeous. It's 150 or 140 bushel wheat. And by the way, Fida knows wheat. He, he grew up in Germany. He understands wheat. So we have 140 bushel wheat, but dang it, in the bin, it's only 104, 105. I mean, it's over 100. It's good. But then Fida says, what about 1,000 kernel weight? Because these kernels are really small. And so he does the 1,000 kernel weight measurement. He counts out 100 seeds. He's got a really good scale. He does that three times. Man, it comes back at 29 to 30 grams per 1,000 seeds. And Fida says, what's normal in Ontario? Because I, I just think that if those kernels had been normal size, I'd have a really big yield. So 100% correct, Vita. The normal 1,000 kernel weight, and it's variety dependent. If you have a hard red, it will be bigger. You can get this information on gocereals.ca. There's a bunch of old data there you can look at to get kind of an average 1,000 kernel weight. But normally, we're 35 or 36 grams per 1,000 kernels. If you're at 30 or 29 you're out 20% in wheat yield for sure. So that 104 should have been 125 at least. And it was some varieties, it would have been 140 bushel wheat. You think if we are close to a new record with little kernels, holy snapping, what could have been? It really does blow your mind. Meanwhile, Talk about happy corn crops. Oh my gosh, all the talk about double cobs all the way up into Werner, Frank and Werner uh, emailing me saying, hey Peter, double cobs, like we've never seen this before in Werner. So that's Northern Ontario if you don't know where Werner is. And you'd even wonder at them growing much corn up there, but they are growing corn. Double cobs all the way into Southwestern Ontario with where my good friend Greg Stewart has said to me, Holy Peter, like I cannot believe when I'm walking cornfields how many corn plants have silks that look like they are going to pollinate two cobs. We often get silks coming out to make two cobs, but the second cob just simply doesn't pollinate. Uh, this corn crop is really happy, even though we've said that, you know, solar radiation, we talked about that last week, it maybe isn't where we'd like it to be at the end of the day. Almost for sure, if we are not going to get pollination on both of those cobs, if you're looking at 34 to 35,000, even 30,000 and above, you will see very few double cobs that actually pollinate. And the other really interesting thing, because the corn was stressed early from drought and from lack of sunshine, this whole photosynthesis thing that we talked about. And again, my friend Fida saying, you know, Peter, uh, your talk about maybe the corn isn't as good as it looks because it looks so good. So he went out in his cornfields and normally would have 14 to 16 rows around on most of these varieties. They're well-known varieties this year, 12 to 14, two less rows around in those cobs. So there's another thing just to have a look at. I think the corn crop looks awesome. It's happy. I can't believe it won't be good, but maybe not as good as we think it is just based on what we're seeing. Soybeans, on the other hand, a lot of Twitter traffic, a lot of agronomist talking to me saying the pod counts are really a bit disappointing only one or two pods per node where normally you would expect three or four pods per node now rain in august will make bigger beans but yeah the soybean crop where it's good looks so lush and soybeans are like that the best looking soybeans are rarely the highest yielding there's too much vegetation 
vegetative growth, there's not enough reproductive growth and pod counts in many situations are looking low. There's also the yellow areas, lots of root rot. If you're seeing root rot, you're seeing yellow areas, check for soybean cyst nematode. More and more reports in areas. My neighbor seeing some soybean cyst nematode and I would, uh, it's hard to understand how he got it, but a little pocket in the corner of the field, sudden death syndrome and Deb Campbell, agronomy advantage uh, agronomist. I think you all know Deb telling me that she is starting already to see white mold in these really lush soybean canopies. Man, I'm more worried about soybeans not being as good as we think they are than I am even about the corn crop not being as good as they are. Meanwhile, on the heat front, it's really interesting because Nature Nut Nick reporting that as of July the 24th, exactly the same heat unit accumulation at Strathroy, 1,804 crop heat units as last year, but the corn crop much advanced this year from last year, exactly the same heat units. It's all a planting date issue, 100% planting date, and whether or not you can make use of those crop heat units. Okay, I want to move on. I want to mention quickly lodging because I challenged Josh, who did all this photothermal quotient, and the fact that that photothermal quotient in June was the lowest since 2000. So I said, Josh, what about May? Well, guess what? The photothermal quotient, the radiation in May was normal. And as you think about that, in the wheat crop, such high stem counts. We could not have these big yields without high stem counts. Well, we needed that May radiation to be normal, to hold that number of stems. And so when we look at that lodging, we try to understand that lodging. A grower said to me, left me a voicemail message saying, his agronomist said, well, of course we're getting lodging because we normally lose nitrogen in May. We didn't lose any nitrogen in May. And that's correct. I talked about that previously on, a, on episodes of The Word where our June nitrates, when we sampled for the corn crop, where we had applied nitrogen at planting time, boy, those nitrate levels were much higher than normal. So we didn't lose nitrogen in May that we normally lose. We had great stem counts that got generated by a warm fall, a warm winter, a a nice early warm March. We held on to those stem counts, and then we had a really low photothermal quotient in June. You know, we went through the growth stages too fast with not enough solar radiation, and that all adds up to lodged wheat, but poor wheat doesn't lodge, so we have big wheat yields. Meanwhile, the wheat is really going off quality. It's been a real challenge and shattering. So Ryan Benjamin's great agronomist in Lambton County, the combine going through the field, delayed harvest because of the rains, already enough wheat has shattered or shelled out of the head before the combine went through that we have a cover crop of wheat growing in that field. There's that much wheat that is shelled out. It's still probably only a bushel or two per acre, But Josh reporting that before last weekend's rain, he was in the field, the crop wasn't shelling out at the head, didn't get the field finished, rained over the weekend, come back on Monday, and way more shattering losses at the header. 
And so all I can say is keep the real speed slow. Don't, it's only supposed to go a little bit faster than your ground speed. When we're at the point that wheat is ready to shell out of the head, you hit it hard with the reel. You are going to get a lot of shattering losses. Keep the real speed, speed slow. Okay, want to mention quickly, hey, West. Oh, the Western Canada, man, it is such a, a high temperature drought. It's just a essentially a disaster in much of western canada not everywhere but a big big part of it not just western canada but also as you move down into the northern great plains they're exactly the same and so we have to think about sending hay west abram called me and said peter our church works with a church in manitoba they're incredibly dry we are already loading hay on livestock trailers livestock trailers bringing cattle east are taking hay west. So that's one thing good for you, Abram. Keep doing that. Donald at Udney had the exact same thought I had as I was going through this thought process is, well, you know, straw west is one thing, but it's only good for beef cows. You're not going to feed finishing cattle or whatever. What about oats? We're going to plant the oat crop for a cover crop after our wheat crop anyway, and every acre of wheat that doesn't have red clover should get oats or oats plus whatever. Well, man, it's an early harvest. If we can plant it immediately, maybe, just maybe, we could harvest that oat crop as dry hay. Now, Donald suggested wet hay and wrapping it. I think that would be a lot harder to handle and make happen. But six weeks, August 1st, that's September 15th. If we could cut that in middle of September, have a shot at making dry hay, send that west. So here's what I want you to do. Make sure that you plant oats Maybe up your seeding rate a little. Normally, I would say 25 to 30 pounds of oats is enough. Maybe we go to 40, 45 pounds of oats, 50 pounds of nitrogen as a minimum. Now, this is good for you either way, because if we don't harvest that oat crop and send it as hay west, the 50 pounds of nitrogen that you put on that oat crop from data by Dave Hooker, Ridgetown Campus, University of Guelph, if you don't put nitrogen on, the oat crop can actually be a negative to next year's corn crop because it just the carbon to nitrogen ratio is not beneficial. As soon as you put that 50 pounds of nitrogen on, the oat crop, stimulate that growth, get better growth, have more hay to ship west. Well, guess what? That negative impact disappears because the carbon to nitrogen ratio is better. So even if we don't end up harvesting it, the 50 pounds of nitrogen means that the corn crop next year is going to be that much better. So there's my thought process there. Got to move on. Lou saying, hey, Peter, I've got really poor clover. I've got weeds. What do I do? Do I just spray it out, start over? What's the best plan? Well, if there's absolutely no clover... Take the weeds out. Use glyphosate. Start over with the oat crop. If there's patches of clover, then you, what weed species do you have? If it's grass, you can use a, a group one graminicide, a sure or something like that. Or if it's broad leaves, you actually can MCPA, low volatile ester, typically does not kill the clover, but will slow down all the broadleaf weeds. So that's the other thing you could consider. And just seed oats over the entire field where the red clover is, the oats won't come. Where the red clover isn't, the oats will. Meanwhile, Dan at Lake Erie, I wish we could all do this. Dan has areas in his field of 150 bushels per acre on the yield monitor. Fields averaging 125 and perfect clover. Unbelievable that we can get to that. I wish we could all figure out how to do that. Okay, I need to quickly go over falling number. So Clark sending me some really good data saying that, Peter, all my early planted wheat, 
has lower falling number than my later planted wheat. And so the early planted wheat in a field comparison, a side-by-side, early planted a falling number of 156, late planted a falling number of 234. It was planted two weeks later. Yeah, Clark, that makes perfect sense because the early planted wheat, if you're two weeks earlier in planting date, it's three or four days earlier at maturity. So it's had more rainfall. It was ready to be harvested and it it, there's a dormancy factor in wheat, but it had that four-day advantage in terms of when you could have harvested it, the weather didn't let you, so it lost that dormancy factor early. And falling number, all falling number really is a measure of is if the alpha amylase enzyme in the kernel has started to work. That's what happens when germination starts. The kernel needs sugars to feed the germinating embryo and it's starch that's in the kernel. So alpha amylase breaks the starch into sugars that feeds the embryo and germination begins. Millers don't want that sugar. They want the starch. That's what works in the milling process. So that's why falling number is important. And by the way, you get low falling numbers before you ever can count sprouted wheat. By the time you see sprouted wheat, you know, the falling number has crashed. On that note, the other question that comes in from Devin, so Peter, like we have low falling numbers, but high test weight wheat, like how does that work? Well, actually the two are not related at all. This year we started out with 66 pound test weight, so we can get to 60 pound test weight with rainfall. It's rainfall that affects the pericarp of that kernel, and that's what lowers test weight. Falling numbers, alpha amylase inside the kernel, and that's a totally different process. Falling number and test weight simply are not related. Ah, shoot, moving on here quickly. Michael, a former summer student of mine. I love it, Mike. So nitrogen deficiency starting to show up on the bottom leaves in his corn crop. Now the corn looks awesome. He's got between 180 and 200 pounds of nitrogen down, but he's on sand soil. And he's saying, so I'm at pollination. We know that 35 or 37% of the nitrogen is taken up by the corn crop. After it tassels, I'm seeing this nitrogen efficiency in, on the bottom leaves. Do I worry about it? Would I get a yield benefit from adding nitrogen now? Well, on sand soil, Michael, you look at, have you had more than six inches of rain in the last three weeks? Because every inch of rain will leach that nitrogen a little bit further. And when we get excessive rain, even though 200 pounds of nitrogen should be lots, some of it may no longer be available. If that's the case and you could side dress or, or Y drop, get some nitrogen on and get another rainfall to put that into the root zone, chances are that you will get a benefit. We saw that in 2015, I think we had nine inches of rain at Milverton and Greg Stewart put on 50 pounds more nitrogen, picked up, I think 50 bushels of corn or 30 bushels, certainly economical. But look at your total rainfall to help with the thought process. And last, do a tissue test for nitrogen on the ear leaf. Pull off a bunch, get them to the lab. It won't take long. And if you're deficient, then I really think you have to look at trying to get some more nitrogen on. Last, I will say before I got to go, stink bugs, really high numbers. We'll talk more about them next ep episode. But we have to start paying attention and scouting in edible beans and in IP soybeans. We may have to consider controlling for stink bugs. I'm way over time. That's it. That's all. On behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com, this is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, July the 28th. I love it. Keep it coming. We'll be back next week.